Can you think of any other approved drug on the market where 23% of the people taking it are having psychiatric morbidity and hemorrhaging? <laughs> Alright everyone, happy Easter. Welcome back to the Loopcast, Catholic Vote's weekly rundown of all things faith, culture, and politics. And I know I sure enjoyed my break. However, we did have some breaking news on Good Friday. And because the Loop team here is the most talented, hardworking, dedicated group of them all, uh, the FDA Mifepristone reversal case broke on Friday. And I remember trying to stay off my phone and I got that alert. And of course, I had to go to Slack to see what people were saying. And I just turned the phone around and showed my wife and just said, the amount of lives that are going to be saved by this, even if, even if there's fights over it, is just unbelievable. I think that some people have described this case as almost bigger and more important than the Dobbs decision. That's up for debate, but we have all the details on that for you here. And Erica, I know you spent some time writing over that period of time. Uh, could you just run us through some stats of the case itself and what happened over the weekend? Sure. So I'm going to focus on the adverse effects that the pill, uh, the abortion pill mifepristone has on women because we've already covered in great detail the legal implications of the case, uh, the ins and outs of the FDA approval process. And we'll get into that a little bit. But I would point everyone back to my interview with Eric Baptist, who was senior counsel from Alliance Defending Freedom on this case for all of that, if you're really interested but here's, here's some interesting uh, facts about the drug mifepristone itself. And the fascinating thing is that these statistics go back to the early 2000s. We've known for a very long time that this drug is not safe for women to take. And what you'll hear in the news right now, all the mainstream media, the line is, the FDA approved this 20 years ago. It's a safe. It's been demonstrated by science to be safe. No, the data has actually been obfuscated and hidden by the FDA and by the other side. So back in 2006, um, the approval of mifepristone was under scrutiny, um, and the subsequent monitoring of the drug was deemed by a House subcommittee to be unusual and demonstrated a lower standard of care for women than any other drug on the market. Yeah, Josh. And just to give just give people a heads up, it was approved in 2000. So you're saying by 2006, they're already they're investigating were... it, right? right? Right. Yeah, and the House the House found that there were out of 575,000 prescriptions of this drug for the purpose of aborting a child, killing a child, there were 950 adverse events. And the ruling itself, the judge's ruling quoted stats that the ADF had supplied to the judge that women who receive abortions have 154% higher risk of death by suicide. Um, all of these things are known and they go back 20 years. Now, something else you'll hear in the mainstream media is, well, it's nobody, there haven't been adverse effects. Well, the reason is that in 2016, the FDA changed the requirements surrounding the prescription of mifepristone and actually stopped tracking adverse effects. So the only place that we can go for actual data on what this drug does to women taking it is to Europe. So the ADF used a study from Finland because Finland tracks everything and has no problem coding abortion drugs and people and seeing what happens to women after they take it. Now, this drug in the Finnish study, which I'll link in the show notes, because this is staggering, 19% of teenagers taking mifepristone to induce abortion experienced adverse events. That number gets jacked up to 23% of adult women over the age of 18 having adverse effects. And the most common of these was hemorrhage, required surgical evacuation of fetal remains, incomplete abortion, and infection. They also include things like psychiatric morbidity and injury. Now, can you think of any other approved drug on the market where 23% of the people taking it are having psychiatric morbidity and hemorrhaging? I mean, these, are, these numbers are just staggering. So when you hear in the news, oh, it's been safe, it's used by so many women, just remember, we have the data. It's from Finland, but women's bodies in Finland work the same as women's bodies in the United States. This is not a safe drug. We need more honesty in this debate. Obviously, pro-lifers have a problem with aborting a baby, and 
people who support abortion have no problem. The, the question, what's nice about the fact that they're monitoring this in Finland is they're just looking at the results and we can look to it. And it's like, whether or not you think abortion is legal or not, is this pill having ma major health effects? And we shouldn't have our eyes blinded by ideology. We should be able to look at it and say, this is dangerous. You know, and just because they can say, well, so many women taken don't have problems. Like, I guess you're if, but if you said 23%, I mean, that one in almost one in four, one in five are having a problem with it, that this is horrible. I mean, not just so, problems. We're talking about hemorrhaging. Imagine having to get surgical evacuation after being sold that this is a completely safe, nothing's wrong with it type your drug. Home. It'll be private. Privacy of your right. home. And then you don't realize that you need to run to the hospital because you're hemorrhaging. Yeah. yeah. And it's completely scandalous that the FDA in the United States had not been tracking this information intentionally because right. they were blinded by a group of people that at all costs believe that women should be able to take the lives of their children at any time. It, it's, at any time for any reason. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. politics again, over medicine. Totally. Exactly. And it's so ironic that pro-lifers are accused of being just pro-child, not pro-woman. And they're just turning a blind eye to one in five women who have horrible complications. Like, I guess I just asked the question, who's really pro-woman? We all should be pro-woman and concerned about this. And to be honest as well, the FDA does not have a very good track record of safety and regulations. Also worth pointing out as well, the United States is one of two countries, I believe it's the United States and New Zealand, that allow uh, drug companies to advertise as much as possible. So 70% of advertisements you see on TV are actually funded by pharmaceutical companies. There's many regulations in Europe to stop that kind of thing from happening because, once again, we just see the wholesale marketing tactics go for drugs that maybe aren't completely safe or completely necessary, but they contribute to the bottom line of some of these countries. So right, it's big always business. follow the money. Always follow the money. Well, and, it, and it's worth noting, it's not like if this were removed formally by the, by the, you know, from the FDA-approved drug list, it wouldn't be like the first time that's ever happened. There are many drugs that have been approved by the FDA that were later removed. You know, like one Bextra, it was approved, you know, right around the same time as Mifepristone, and it got removed from the market in 2005 because it had serious cardiovascular adverse effects, you know, like death, stroke, you know. So there's other ones. It's not like it's a totally never happened before. Oh, the FDA would only approve it if it's perfectly wonderful and totally safe. Yeah. Yeah. No, mm, I don't think so, up. bro. I mean, there's other ones that have been approved and have been removed from the market, and this is this one should join that list. We'll have a we'll post a whole list of drugs that have been uh, approved by the FDA and later removed. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah, and I wanted to just go back to Josh's point. Like, we absolutely, as pro-life Catholics, um, which shouldn't even be an as adjective for Catholic. Catholics, as Catholics, right? C we don't even Catholics, need the yeah. adjective. As Catholics, absolutely, this drug is 100. Um, percent you know, bad for the child, for the unborn child. And something that was really interesting in the reaction to the judge's ruling is that the judge in the ruling actually uses the language like the death of the unborn child or it ends the life of a human unborn child. And the media just went bonkers. NPR's analysis of the case was how dare he use such inflammatory language. And you're like, okay, who's State actually the scientific media. one? What is it, a baby <laughs> right. kangaroo? I mean, it's not like an unborn kangaroo child, is it? So I, I come on, yeah, the whole like, who is really pro-woman here? Who is really pro-science and objective and using the correct language to describe things? Um, it's definitely not the leftist pro-abortion, kill your baby for any reason side. Right. And I don't think we really need to convince the audience here that no. this, this hey, pill choir. is bad for unborn. Yeah, welcome to the choir. But I think something that we, uh, a service we could provide here because we've been following it so closely is that I think what's been confusing to some people is that uh, Judge Kaczmarek uh, issued this in Texas. And then there was another judge in Washington that actually did kind of the reverse. And so there's a little bit of gray area to the, the producer of Mifepristone. Like, okay, I've been told by one person I can't produce this anymore. I've been told by another I definitely should produce this. So uh, could you go over, Erica, what the gray area is there and where this is all heading? Yeah. So uh, about an hour after Judge Kaczmarek in Amarillo, Texas, issued the injunction that orders the FDA to withdraw its approval for Mifepristone, within an hour, uh, Judge Rice, another federal judge in Washington state, uh, he issued an order to the FDA to secure access to Mifepristone 
to the abortion drug in 17 deep blue states and Washington, D.C. And the usual suspects, you know, Colorado, Connecticut, my home state's on there, Vermont, of course, sorry, Michigan's on there, a couple. We'll put the list in the show notes. But these states had previously sued and actually asked the judge to direct the FDA to expand access to the abortion pill. The judge didn't do that, but Judge Rice did say the FDA should secure access. So like you said, Tom, in these 17 states and D.C., there are now conflicting rulings. And Judge Kaczmarek, in his ruling, um, he gave the Biden administration seven days to appeal before it would go into effect, which they did in an emergency appeal on Monday. They appealed to the Fifth Circuit Court, which is the next step up. um, And they're arguing that the Alliance Defending Freedom clients had no standing um, and that the case should be moved up in the courts and that there should be no injunction, no stopping this drug while it's moving through the courts. Um, and we expect that ruling later this week from the Fifth Circuit. So definitely stay and there's, tuned. There's some irony in here that the Catholic Biden administration did this on Easter Monday, right? There's got to be. There's a oh, there somewhere. So much but. irony. So, and yet no surprise. Yeah. And yet no surprise, unfortunately. So What's the bottom line here, Josh? Is this going to go to the Supreme Court and we're going to have to get a hearing on this? It may ultimately get to the Supreme Court, but it's hard to say. I mean, the it's almost certainly going to go to the Fifth Circuit Court, which is where Judge Kazimarek is in. And so the whole Fifth Circuit Court will de- debate it. And then the pro boards and the Biden administration will, will challenge that. And the Supreme Court might just say, ah, we're going to let it stand. You know, that's possible. They might... But, you know, because you need four people on the court to hear it at the Supreme Court level. Um, it might, you know, I'm guessing it will go to the Supreme Court, though, because, like you say, you've got anytime there's the, the circuit courts are split. Um, it, it, it's like a perfect invitation for the Supreme Court to kind of settle it once and for all. So um, I, I do suspect it will go to the Supreme Court. Um, but, you know, it'll be interesting to see what will happen. I mean. The state, if, if the Supreme Court were to hear this case and were to and was also were to rule that Mifepristone should be removed from the market, don't be surprised if uh, this goes right back to the Congress and it might be, you know, a big fight there. Maybe pro-lifers are able to stop it, but they'll try to pass a bill to just say it, this should be legal, and then states like California and New York will find a way that you know they'll say you know because maybe. You, they'll they'll have it manufactured in California, and you can b- purchase it there, and it's not interstate travel. Same thing with New York. So, I mean, they're going to find it, it's the the abortion industry loves the fact that they can send these death pills uh, out through the mail, and they're they're going to find whatever ways possible to try to keep it going. We still need to fight, um, obviously. So it, it's it it there's. A lot to be said on this. This fight is going to continue for some time. Yeah, and it seems like people have been throwing punches here in their reactions. And some really notable reactions to this were AOC went on a CNN show and she suggested that we should just ignore the ruling. The ruling that said that you can no longer produce this, you can no longer use it for abortion means, mifepristone specifically. Uh, There's even some Republicans that suggested that you should, Nancy Mace uh, suggested that this should just be ignored. And then, so those two were major reactions. I don't know how much weight they really carry. But then with the HHS and the Biden administration, Biden came out basically saying that if this can happen to mifepristone, this could happen to any prescription drug. So if all of a sudden people just were mad at uh, insulin, for example, insulin could be made illegal. Uh, I just want everyone to know, I don't think these are very good faith arguments, but I think that there were... Obviously it's not. (laughs) Come on. So... Yeah. Yeah, so Josh, what what would you say to I mean, both Nancy of those Mace things? is a pro-abortion Republican from South Carolina and a very, you know, her district is very it's a swing district. She barely won the primary. She's going to get challenged again. Um, you know, she, I don't think she represents a, a large portion of the Republican Party. However, I do think there is in the Republican Party uh, uh, in the House in the Senate um, a reluctance to touch the abortion issue. We see, we looked at the Dobbs decision as this great thing, obviously, right? It allows states like Texas and Idaho to pass, you know, strong pro-life laws to save babies. But in Washington, D.C., they're like, this is awesome. We don't have to do, deal with abortion ever again. 
Like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's the states. You know, we don't have to talk about it anymore. And it shows like a reluctance, like the last thing they want to deal with. You know, they want to they want to pass bills, you know, to 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 fund pork projects and do all sorts of things. You know, you know, military bombing countries, always all that stuff is fun. They, they love to do that in Washington, D.C. They like to, you know, they call it uh, guns and butter or whatever. Guns and, and butter. Guns <laughs> and a new band wow. name called it. That sounds yeah. like a garage <laughs> band. And the thing is. You know, she, you know, Nancy Mace looks around and she sees all these Republicans were very hesitant to talk about, you know, the abortion issue. And she's, she's, you know, answering the, her call to step up and say, you know, be aggressive and in favor of abortion because she realizes that too many other pro-life Republicans are like, well, I guess it's in the, you know, it's a state issue now. So I... that's the problem. And that's why I feel like Republicans, you know, need in, in Washington, D.C., need to understand, first of all, there's no getting away from it. It's not like, okay, great, you're off the hook. You never have to talk about abortion ever again. No, like, look at what Biden is doing with the military. He's facilitating the payment, you know, like service members to get abortions. He's using our taxpayer dollars to help women in the military get abortions. Oh, you can't get an abortion here at, the, at this Air Force base, like in North Dakota? We'll fly you somewhere where you can get it and kill your baby. Like, that's completely unconscionable. And it's like, but... You know, Republicans, and thank God for Senator Tuberville from Alabama stepping up and saying, I'm fighting this. He's realizing this game is not over. Like the left hasn't like gone, oh, I guess, gosh, with Roe v. Wade overturned, now it's in the states. We'll, not, we'll, we'll stop trying to arm the federal government and make it a, a, an abortion activist. Like, hello, they're still pushing on okay, every so, level. So quick, quick question for you then, and I think some people may have observed this and want answers to it. There's been some studies going around, some polls going around saying that abortion is kind of a politically unpopular issue and that by touching it, it's somewhat nuclear waste and it will lead to you potentially losing your election or losing political points. And I think that those studies are a little bit misleading. And I would actually just as a political wonk, I'd just be curious to hear your perspective. Should people just not touch it at all or is there an effective rhetoric to kind of win on these issues? Yeah, so there's there's legislation in Florida that would protect babies, you know, the heartbeat bill. And the, they did polling on it. And there's this truly deceptive poll because the, the legislation there provides exceptions for rape, incest, and life of mother. Now, of course, I would love a bill that protected every baby, okay? This bill does provide exceptions up until 15 weeks. And then after that, you know, no, no abortions. And the, what, the, what this poll in Florida did is it said, this bill, this heartbeat bill, doesn't provide exemptions. How do you feel about this bill? And, like, the polling was horrible then. Like, uh, most voters were like, yeah, no, I'm, I, I don't think we should do that bill. That sounds a little too extreme. Because the American people aren't yet with us uh, uh, on this 100%. But the fact is, I hate it when pollsters lie. Like, it's, you're, you're describing this bill in a way that's, it's just like the don't say gay thing. Yeah, that was it's a bill never that what that exist. law was. Right. Yeah, yeah. So the media realizes, wait a minute now, if I lie about this, then I'll rally the American people against this legislation. And it frustrates me. Now, I still, I look forward to the day where every baby is protected and there's no exceptions. I would love that. But in the meantime, if Florida is going to make a massive improvement and save a lot of babies, I'm all for it. Like, you know, I, it, it's like there's a fire going on. Save as many babies as you can. You know, there's a lot of arguments on that in the pro-life movement. I get it. You know, fine. But the fact is, the media was just lying with this poll. And if you actually poll people on what the bill is, people are like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds reasonable. I like that. And, you know, the, the Democrats are convinced, hey, we need to make it seem like the pro-life uh, agenda, passing the pro-life laws are horrible. Well, look, they made the point that the governor of Oklahoma, Oklahoma, super pro-life. He's gonna. He might just. He might lose re-election because of the pro-life bill he's passing. He wins in a romp, and then Florida. Ron DeSantis had passed a previous bill that was pro-life. Yeah, yeah. And oh well, you know, Florida's a swing state, and he barely won the last time. This might cost him. He wins by twenty points. You know, Brian Kemp gets re-elected in can uh, in Georgia. Greg Abbott gets reelected in Texas. All these guys had bills. Now, so what does the pro-abortion movement say? Ah, 
But see, that was the legislature dominated by men. When it comes in front of the people, the people vote for abortion. Why is that? Because it happened in Kansas, right? Kansas is, everyone thinks Kansas is a super conservative state. It's not. You've got, uh, you know, one third is Democrat, one third is conservative, and then one third is these squishy Republicans that try to sabotage anything that pro-lifers do. And so the media opened up and the pro board spent like crazy. See, the, the pro board spending a, a, a gobs of cash and the media lying about it and the, and the pro boards won in Kansas. But if, and because I think the, what they were debating in Kansas just said, well, let's let the legislature do whatever it wants on the pro-life issue and not, and basically not have the courts decide, which I agree with that in principle, but it was so open-ended. People are like, I don't get it. If you actually went to the people of Kansas and said, let's ban abortions after 15 weeks, I think they would have said, yeah, I'm fine with that. So, and, and the thing, but the pro-abortion, so the pro-aborts are like, yeah, but they've got this in our heads. But if it goes to the ballot, we're going to win. Look what happened to Kansas. And so they're trying to get it on the ballot in Ohio. And a lot of pro-lifers, a lot of Republicans are like freaking out. They're like, it's going to be just like Kansas. We're going to lose. No, I think we absolutely can win. We got to go on offense. We need to tell people, hey, abortion, you know, I, I talk about like the gun issue. Okay, and there are parallels between guns and abortion. You know, the the liberals want to get rid of guns and it's not popular with the American people. Does that mean they just say, oh, well, I guess we won't fight? No, they fight like the Dickens on this issue. And every time something happens in the news, a tragedy, some shooting, they say, gosh, guns are horrible. But boy, Republicans and conservatives in the gun lobby, they just got to have the guns. But they, they, you know, and then we call them out and they say, well, are you in favor of banning guns? And they're like, well, I didn't say that. So they kind of, they, they kind of play these games because they realize the majority of people are on their side, aren't, well, are not on their side. Also, what do they start with, too? They start with assault weapons. They start with yeah, the most well, so extreme like, uh, guns. But see, right. my point with this would be like, they, they still, at the end of the day, they say guns are bad, essentially, right? Well... I think the pro-life movement has spent so much time in during when Roe v. Wade was the law of the land of saying, we should at least be able to pass some common sense regulations. And that made sense. The American people weren't necessarily with us on, on, on this issue 100 percent. I feel like they were with us on a good chunk of it. And so but now that Roe is over, we still should talk about this like, yeah, you know, we're against abortion because abortion is bad. Like. It is bad. It's bad for women. Obviously, it's horrible for the baby. It dies. But it's bad for women. Just like, we're, why are we against Mifepristone? Because it's bad for women. Why are we against abortion? Because it causes depression. It causes suicide. It's horrible for women. You know, it's gut-wrenching. It's horrible. That's why we're against this. But if we never say that we're against abortion because it's bad, then people are like, they start to fill in reasons why. Oh, it's a bunch of Christians who are just so upset that people are sinning or something like that. You've got to assert, like, hey, it's bad. It re that's why we're against this. It's bad for you. It's bad for, obviously, it's bad for your child. Right. Yeah. And so I, think, I feel like we need to reassert that a little bit more. Yeah, and going back to the point of, like, Congress and Republicans in Congress of a certain bent wanting to avoid it and being like, oh, we don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, the Democrats in Congress certainly don't have a problem talking about it, and they're going to keep pushing it. And nature abhors the vacuum politics of abhors a vacuum as well. So if if Lindsey Graham's not up there talking about it and pushing bills uh, through Congress to protect more lives, then the Democrats are going to come back with their Women's Health Protection Act, and they're going to come back with their Equality Act, and their their DOD, the abortion for the, um, for the military, like you said. So absolutely, we can't just be silent on it and be like, oh, well, we fixed it at a federal level, because it's not fixed. It's a constant battle Right. Vigilance is the price of freedom. So. Well, right. And that, and that reminds me of in 2012, the governor of Indiana, Mitch Daniels, was thinking about running for mm. president. My man. And Mitch. I think he had a lot of great things going for him. He, he made government really good in Indiana. And there's a lot of people saying this guy has got the smarts and he might be somebody who could really work at the federal level. And then he says, you know what, on these culture issues. When it comes to, you know, gays, abortion, all this kind of stuff, maybe we need a truce on this for a while. And then we need to solve our problems like the deficit and entitlements and all the stuff that 
eventually are going to explode and we're going to go bankrupt. It's like, listen, it would be one thing if you were able to convince the entire other half of the country to do this, right? If you could somehow get all of the senators from California, New York, and the blue states to say, yeah, we're not going to push abortion and gays at every turn, but it's not on the offer. Like they're absolutely have zero interest in a truce. So all of it, talking of a truce or we don't need to worry about this anymore. You're saying, let us lay down our arms and let these guys roll us over. Like, no, like you have to fight back. Yeah. It's such a fifth Price grade, crazy. like that's just such a fifth grade solution <laughs> yeah. to world problems. Like my, my son just says like, well, why don't, why don't we just have a, a timeout, right? You said a timeout between Ukraine and Russia. Like what if Ukraine just said to Russia, <laughs> let's have a timeout. And it's everyone kind of just like thing, stopped. Actually. It is. It's a beautiful thing. But he, my yeah. son should not be running the country. Beautifully like, naive. <laughs> he should not be running the war in Ukraine. Yeah. And he should not be like in charge of anything. But it All is right. very beautiful and innocent and sweet. But yeah, I'm going to slide no this in because I was hoping Josh would say this, but I don't think he got it in. But you got in a lot of other good information. It frustrates me that pro-lifers have to play, feel like they have to play defense all the time for some reason. The most effective rhetoric I've seen is when someone goes up to someone who is unapologetically pro-abortion all the time, anytime, for any reason. It's, okay, so do you support abortion at nine months a day before the baby's born? Yes or no? And the answer is always yes. I, I support abortion anytime for any reason. Okay, what do you think about partial birth abortion? When they're halfway out, what do you think about that? And they, I've actually seen people answer yes. I think that you should be able to abort the child. I'm going to tell you for a fact, 99% of the country does not think that is appropriate. The silent majority is they will. It needs to stop being silent on this because when you attack the most aggressive and extreme tenants of this, it rolls back the film. Let's say 80. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Are I you, think you we're really down think to 80. Partial birth abortion. Yes. 20% of yeah, the yeah. country would say yes. Yep. The law I mean, is a teacher. Being crazy. I'm rounding, I'm rounding up to 80. That is crazy. That's yeah. shocking to me. But okay. A majority of the country would say that's barbaric and insane, right? Yeah, the vast majority, for sure. So why are we not leading with that? I, I just don't understand why people shy away from that. That's what's being advocated for. That's We're not talking about common sense regulations from the other side. We're talking about abortion for any reason, at any time, with, by any means, with without consent of parents. It's so horrible. We had this debate when we did the partial birth abortion ban debates back in the 90s. And I people at the time, they're shocked. They look at the graphics and like oh my gosh this is horrible and i think it is so horrible that people have to choose to look away and then they get the rhetoric from npr or the rhetoric from the washington post saying well this never happens nobody's ever aborting babies at 38 weeks this actually never happens and it's people are more than happy to believe that because it is too horrible to contemplate right. that something like right. gosnell is happening so your average suburban white mom who might if you showed her an aborted the aborted baby's body at 38 weeks and said, this is okay, she would just vomit and be like, but if she has CNN and Wolf Blitzer and Anderson Cooper telling her this never happens, she's like, oh my gosh, those crazy pro-lifers, they want to take women's choice away. It is too horrible for the human heart which, to contemplate. Which, so that rhetoric doesn't work. They shut down. I wish we could just say it's a baby and look what's going on, like you say, and it's horrible and people would reject it. I'm not so sure. I think they can just kind of, there's too many times we've seen this people just, you're right, close their eyes and willfully wish it away. And then that was weird. That was awkward. And then they move on with the rest of their life. That was judgy. Sort of like if, they feel judged. They're like, oh, I feel well, judged. It's sort, of like if, it, it's sort of like if you're driving in traffic and all of a sudden a, a naked man walked down the street, like that was really weird. And you just kind of like, okay, you know, and that was like this gross interruption with your life. And then you move on and you pretend like it didn't happen. Like okay. you might mention once or twice. Blot it out. Like, oh, that was really weird. But then it, it doesn't really arrest you. It doesn't really change your minds or hearts about the experience. That's why I feel like pro-lifers need to do a little bit more talking about, hey, like mifepristone, which is so many abortions are chemical. Like it, it, one in five women have adverse effects, including, you know, bleeding out, having to be gone, run to the hospital, depression you know, suicide, all that stuff, then people, it, it makes them think twice because there is a reluctance in America because we're a pluralistic, pluralistic society and so many different people, so many different views. We know we got to kind of work it out here in this country. We got to get along with each other. And there's a reluctance to say, I'm going to force you to live how I live 
And the abortion industry plays into that. And that's why I feel like the more convincing argument is to say abortion is bad for women. It makes, you know, it makes them depressed. It makes, you know, makes many of them suicidal. Uh, They have regrets for the rest of their lives. You know, we wouldn't want women to have this because it's how bad it is for them. And that, I think, is going to open up the minds and hearts and eyes of those moms in the suburbs more than anything else, I think. I agree. And telling the stories, allowing women who have had abortions who want to share the regret to tell their story on a national stage. And we're working right now on a piece. Um, one of our writers, Jessica Nardi, she's working on a piece where she's going through interviews with women who are telling their stories. And I have to tell you, I'm working with her and it is it is just heartbreaking. And these women are saying things like, I can never go back to that day. I didn't know it would be like this. I thought I would be empowered. I could just put it behind me like a bad cold or a flu. And it's it's absolutely heartbreaking. And nobody hears these stories um, of these women. So we Not have enough. to tell yeah, them. But they're silent no more. That's the name of the group that publicizes these women. Great ministry. The FBI has been found again to be snooping in Catholic churches. Now, uh, for Loopcast listeners, regular listeners here, I think our most successful episode ever, congratulations, Erica, was when you had Kyle Serafin, FBI whistleblower, come on and talk about how there were these tags that were being put on radical traditionalist Catholics. And uh, that was not a one-off issue. It turns out the FBI actually, inside of the document, said, quote, tripwire and source development in mainline Catholic churches and traditional Latin masses. Notice the distinction there. Did you say mainline, mainline Catholic churches? <laughs> yeah. Mainline Catholic churches and traditional Latin masses. I mean, masses. that doesn't have echoes to the 70s. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the, in, it, all throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, anytime there was a major development in mainline Protestant churches, it was major news in the New York mm-hmm, Times. Like, mm-hmm. you know, and now it's like no one cares because... Who goes to mainline Protestant out, churches so, anymore? Yeah. Or who the, goes to, to church refer anymore? To, to to most Catholic churches in the United States as mainline Catholic parishes, man. I mean, I'm not a Latin master, but if if you didn't, if that didn't make uh, you know Latin mass seem that much more based and awesome to have the rest of it <laughs> called mainline. <laughs> yeah. Now, make sure don't you at don't you come at me with you know, all these people like. Oh, the loop is so pro Latin mass. You guys are obnoxious. I always love that argument. It's like I don't even go to the Latin mass. I'm just saying, like, don't squash it like a bug. It's a beautiful yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you do go to those masses, make sure when you you hug your fellow parishioners, you check them for a wire because it turns out that the FBI has admitted in this document that there were plenty of feds uh, attending masses and trying to develop sources. At least within one. Catholic there was churches. at least one. Well, yeah, so least just one, to yeah. correct the story, guarantee, we don't want to get ahead I of ourselves. I guarantee. Okay, so. There's going to be more. There's going Just to be so more. Just so we're clear, obviously agents of the FBI who are Catholic go to mass. We're talking about someone who's going to mass in order to try to find out what's going on there. And like, develop like, sources. What? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Uh, do we not have the First Amendment? Like, what is going on here? Like, we have the freedom to exist, you people. Yeah. It just drives me crazy. And that was why, do you, do you catch the uh, the committee hearing? It was so hilarious. Like, uh, the, 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 the Republican from New Jersey... Jeff Andrew, he's a new Republican. He just flipped over like within the last couple of years. And he just asked, he had these guys from the, it was the weaponization com- subcommittee. And he had these guys from the FBI and he goes, <laughs> I, I just love this. He goes, uh, is it okay to be a Roman Catholic? And it's just like silence, silence, right? <laughs> like that's a, that's a question. I'd like someone yeah. to answer my question, you know, please. Yeah. Like, oh, well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah uh, yeah I'll answer uh yeah it's okay. That it's like so thanks bad. bro. Yeah it Backwards. was awesome to see just like he had the the chain link uh wristlet and he just looked like the most nerd New Jersey dude ever hit him in a New Jersey a- accent with is it okay to be Catholic you know? Uh <laughs> so anyway Josh I I don't think people are super familiar with this weaponization committee and I think it's more important that people realize so could you just run us through the facts on this committee and how we got this? Yeah, the weaponization, weaponization subcommittee, the idea behind this was that Republicans, as they were running f- for Congress, they said, if we get control of the House, we're going to have a, a committee to investigate the DOJ and the FBI and all the stuff that they're doing. And for the most part, I think the animating desire behind them on this was like 
social media. You had companies like Facebook and Twitter suppressing stories. You had this situation where the FBI was like sending messages to Twitter saying, hey, could you kind of ax these accounts, like remove people from Twitter because they're spreading information we don't like? Like the fact that any anyone would not just vomit. If, if you have an understanding of what it means to be a free people, that you would allow the FBI to send messages to Twitter and Facebook, delete these accounts. Like, I mean, it, it, if you want to talk about something that would make Thomas Jefferson spontaneously combust in flames. He'd be so <laughs> angry. So I think that was like the animating principle behind what we got to form a committee to look into this stuff. And, they're, and, they're, and they are looking into all this stuff. But then the Catholic stuff comes along and it's like, wait a minute, what? Like, I think a lot of these Republicans were like surprised and they hit a gold mine. Like, like they probably didn't occur to them as they're thinking about this. Like, we got to investigate what they're doing in big tech. We got to investigate what they're doing on Facebook and Twitter and all this stuff. And they're like, wait a minute, there's FBI agents that are like going to a Catholic mass to check out what's going on and, and find out if they're, you know, radicals and, and, and if there's like somehow associated with white supremacy and all this other stuff. It's bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. And again, it doesn't totally seem completely far-fetched when you think about it. Like this is the same FBI that told guys in um, Chicago, the FBI office in Chicago, you know what? I know like for 20, 30 years, we've had a priest come in and, and, and provide ashes on your foreheads because it would be kind of disruptive of like a, a, all the FBI agents who are Catholic just up and left and went to mass during the middle of the day. We'll have a priest come by and put ashes on their foreheads. And this year they're like, yeah, no, can't do that. We're not letting them come in. And you're like, what? You know, and it's like, and we have a military, right? Because of Biden, who's supposedly Catholic, and Lloyd Austin, the, 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 defense, uh, the Secretary of Defense, who's supposedly, supposedly Catholic, Catholic yeah. pushing all this pro-abortion stuff, right? And then they turn around and they say to Walter Reed, oh, we're ending our contract right so there won't be any masses at Walter Reed Hospital right before, you know, and during Holy Week. And so you're seeing up and down the line an FBI, a, a DOJ, a military that is not just, you know, they've gone from being accepting of religion to being absolutely hostile. You know, Catholics need to open their eyes, wake up and see what's going on. And Jim Jordan, the guy who's the chairman of this subcommittee on weaponization, he is not Catholic. He's just trying to get to the bottom of what's going on. I, I, and I appreciate, like, Congressman Jeff Andrew saying, hey, I mean, I'm not even, he's like, I'm not even the best Catholic. Like, <laughs> I miss, I miss some Sundays. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a great But, clip. I mean, yeah. this just seems kind of wrong. And he's, like, thinking to himself, like, you go to a Mass on Sunday, does it really feel like a hotbed of radicalism? <laughs> you know? like, yeah, he, like, Give I, me a break. Especially a mainline parish. His follow-up <laughs> yeah, question right. was, uh, what is radical Catholic ideology? Like, what? Yeah. And then I actually... So some of these clips uh, are actually going some kind of viral on social media. And it's for some reason, I mean, we post to all platforms, right? So we're on TikTok and all of a sudden we're getting a ton of views on TikTok. And this was one of them. And someone in the comments it was so funny. I was reading through the comments and the guy's like, radical Catholic ideology is da 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 I just Googled it. Like, why are we, why is this such a hard thing for you to understand? And of course, everyone below that, like, there's no such thing. There's no such thing. Like, did you put that in chat GPT and it spit that back at you? Like, there's no such thing as radical Catholic ideo ideology. It's not a thing. And of course, it's tied to white supremacy and this and that, nah, 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 which of course, all that's BS and it's all made up. You want to talk about real misinformation. That's misinformation. He probably got it from the Southern Poverty Law Center. Exactly. He yeah. Googled hate, it, hate went group. straight to their website. It was like, oh. Yeah. Their lawyers just got back from the Antifa ride down the road. But anyway, the... Some of the language in this document was hilarious, and I'm excited to announce there's a subpoena for all for all other information, and guess what? It's going to be in front of the American people, I can promise you that. But the agency aimed to sensitize, quote-unquote, sensitize Catholic churchgoers to, quote, to the warning signs of radicalization, end quote, and enlist their assistance to serve as suspicious activity tripwires. What are we talking? This is like out of a TV show. What are we talking about? Someone's been watching too much, I don't know, NCIS or FBI late night teaching, TV shows. Teaching I mean, Catholics to report on their fellow Catholics for radical ideology. Yeah. We here at Catholic, we're trying to get to the bottom of this. So just to give our listeners a little heads up here, 
On March 6th, we filed a Freedom of Information Act request with the FBI in Richmond, Virginia. That was the field office where they had that report on, you know, the Seraphim, traditionalist Catholics and all this stuff. So we're asking them for all the communications revolving that, involving that memo. And so the way it works with these things, like free, there's there's pre, court, uh, the law with the Freedom of Information Act law, and as well as court precedents for stuff like this, there are norms associated with this. And it requires the agency to respond within 20 business days, okay? They sometimes can ask for like an additional 10 days for unusual circumstances, right? So 30 days, you know, if they really want to drag it out. But, to, but here it is, April, you know, 12, 13, whatever. And we still haven't heard from these guys. You know, we haven't had any response. So our legal team at Catholic Vote, we're prepared to bring a lawsuit within the next 10 days if we do not hear from them, as we are entitled to by law. This delay, this inaction, of course, is associated with, you know, investigating and prosecuting the violence and vandalism being committed against pregnancy centers and Catholic churches that our top law, for, law enforcement institutions have demonstrated a pattern of hostility against Catholics and all people of faith. We are not backing down here at Catholic Vote. It's unacceptable. And it's also, it's interesting, just hit the wires within, uh, you know, within the last 24 hours. The uh, Biden, President Biden's Justice Department has uh, is given a sweetheart plea deal to a, a person who vandalized a Catholic church with profane graffiti, destroying a statue of the Virgin Mary, assaulting a church worker, and resisting arrest. Because, and I think it's because the person, this vandal, was someone who claims to be transgender. And so I think ju the Justice Department is using total kid gloves. It's, it, it just drives me absolutely bonkers. We have a Justice Department that's totally politicized and weaponized, you know, the FACE Act. And, uh, you know, we demand justice on this. Yeah, and just to contrast that sweet deal that they're giving to this person, with the treatment of Mark Houck, that he had to go through the whole court system. He had to suffer through that trial, all because he defended his son. And faced the possibility of 11 years in jail. 11, yeah. 11, 11 years 11 in jail. years, yeah. There was no... Long there, barrel yeah. rifles in his home. I, yeah. I doubt they yeah. showed up to his and house And even the deal he was offered it. included prison time. So it's just, which he didn't take. Good for yeah, him. Yeah, did they send a SWAT team after this person that vandalized yeah. the church? Mm, no. You know, where there were like dozens bad, of bad cars. Optics. They identified yeah. the wrong way. So, yeah, we're on this, and I think there's actually a lot of, while this is discouraging that there's so much persecution going on, first off, it's not the first time Christians have been persecuted in history, and I doubt it'll be the last. And then also, there's a lot of encouraging signs within government in terms of the Committee on Weaponization, uh, some of these big wins that we're bringing up here. We're going to get a lot of information. Catholic Vote's a part of getting that information, so really encouraging, and I, I encourage you all to stay tuned. Like We are going to be getting some very primary source stuff here coming up, so that's my pitch. If you guys aren't subscribed right now, Go on over, subscribe on all platforms. We want to be in your inbox every Thursday. And when we do bonus episodes, we have a good bonus episode coming up here. Um, you'll be ready for it. So, Twilight Zone, everyone's favorite, sub everyone's favorite segment. Uh, I actually have been seeing in analytics that there's a huge spike at Twilight Zone. So, I think oh, we're doing something thanks, right here. guys. Uh, <laughs> skipping to the end, skipping to the dessert. So, speaking of uh, treats, Erica, I hear you're going to give one mm. up. What's your Twilight Zone here? Yeah, mine revolves around snacks because I do love eating, especially during Easter week. And well, the Native American princess disappeared from my Land O'Lakes tub of butter a couple of years ago. My kid's Cheez-Its box now has a self-identified drag queen RuPaul on the front of it. So I'm like, what is up? So I'm, I'm doing a little bit of digging. And of course, uh, we had a great, another great piece from our writers last week just detailing all of the companies that have gone all in with a self-described girl, a male named Dylan Mulvaney. Scam artist, man. Yeah, scam he's made, artist, womanface.com yeah. going on with Dylan there. Um, so I'm just like, what is going on? What's, why are all these trans people showing up? The Indian princesses are disappearing. And it turns out, of course, this is not about compassion. This isn't because Nabisco loves trans people, but it has everything to do with what is called the ESG score, right? So this is... Um, it's a score that companies have that demonstrates how um, sensitive they are to the most radical leftist agendas. And if you go even further down, we have the Human Rights Campaign has a new index called the Corporate, well, it's not new, it's 20 years old, but it's recently been tied to ESG scores. It's called the Corporate Equality Index, the CEI. 
And if your CEI from human rights campaign is bad, your ESG is bad. And what that means is you don't get investments from the big shots like BlackRock, these huge investment companies. They look at your ESG. If you want top ratings, you have to show the human rights campaign that you have taken concrete steps to establish and implement comprehensive policies, benefits, and practices to ensure greater equity for LGBTQ plus workers and their families. And I know a lot of people who work for these large companies, if you work for a large financial consulting firm here in Connecticut, for example, um, you have experienced this shift in your company making these changes in order to better your CEI score. So we're looking at things like expanding mandatory service and treatment options for people who want to transition their gender in your office, um, including collecting data on workplace inequality. And this includes um, hostility. So if you're reported for being hostile to same-sex couples, your company's tracking that. That's upping their score with the human rights campaign. It includes DEI training for employees, mandatory training, and performance evaluation for senior leadership in companies based on their demonstrated commitment to the rainbow flag. Um, and of course, a huge part of your score is have you publicly promoted the LGBTQ plus two-spirit community with figureheads? And I'm saying two-spirit, you're laughing, Tom. In Canada, it's actually part of the thing now. Dylan and RuPaul. So when you see these trans people promoting Bud Light or Nabisco products or Walmart has them, you know, that's that is for a reason and it is to get the score and it is to make money and it is just crazy the the human rights campaign has a huge uh, report out right now on fortune 500 companies and large law firms that have participated in the cei and 67 percent of the biggest businesses around the world um are actually sorry it's 86 percent of all the cei rated businesses now offer transgender inclusive health insurance. They have great scores for friendliness. This is up from 0% in 2002. That means in the last 21 years, all these companies that now have Dylan and all the, on, their, on their boxes so your kids can look at drag queens while they're eating their Cheez-Its, um, these guys have totally folded and totally caved. So for me, like digging into this Cheez-It box was not only very tasty, but... It was also totally eye-opening. I love Cheez-Its. It was totally <laughs> eye-opening, especially the extra toasty ones. Oh, my gosh. I could just oh, eat Oh, yeah, the brown ones are the yeah, best. Yeah, like the super brown oh, ones. Oh, those burned. are so good. Oh, I love yeah. them. I'm looking at the box. I'm like, what happened? But it was really eye-opening. Uh, companies that scored 100% this year on their CEI, so Walmart, Amazon, Exxon, Apple, J.P. Morgan, Xerox, Nike, and this is everybody, all the big shots. Well, Top CEI think... score. I don't think we're going to get completely rid of the politicization of corporations. No. I, but I do feel we are really bound for a correction here. And I and I do feel all the signs point to an economic recession coming around the corner. And the question is are all these DEI and political you know uh politicization you know why I'm tripping on that word but Within a recession, with a recession around the corner, I do feel all these DEI stuff are really in a lot of trouble because, uh, I mean, are, are these political movements by these corporations truly recession-proof? You know, if the economy turns and takes a real correction, these corporations are going to have to cut costs. And I think they get rid of a lot of their DEI guys right from the start because they're not adding to the bottom line. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll see. I mean, yeah, uh, I don't I've know. always made the point. I don't know. I think I, I struggle to even see that because the, what a lot of people don't know is the CEO of BlackRock was one of the founders of ESG. He's come out and talked about a new, more inclusive, equitable way to invest. Uh, of course, framing it with moral terms because that's what uh, works is the future. for people. Is right, equity is equity the future. Is the well, future. right, and that's and, and what we're starting to see though is some states, red states, are smartly pushing back and. De you know, divesting their uh, from these uh, BlackRock and some of these other radical groups. Like BlackRock is in it. You're right. It's an investment firm, so called. But I mean, that's what they do. But the whole point is they are ideological first, and they're pushing this ESG and all this stuff. And so we need to push back. We need to tell our lawmakers don't allow, especially if you live in a red state, don't allow 
pension funds to be invested in these, you know, like BlackRock funds that are pushing ESG stuff. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. Josh, you're up. Twilight Zone. You mentioned before Canada and the two spirits thing. There's also a, a new push in Canada. There's a, a member of the parliament who's pushing for a, a bill that would criminalize making any offensive remarks within 100 meters of a drag queen story hour. It's just absolutely insane. Absolutely insane. 1984, anyone? Yeah. But did you, I mean, did you like, see the collection like, of people, police. Josh? The collection of people at the press conference was like, it was the oddest, most eclectic group of yeah. weirdos you could possibly find. And, and then this like, little like, nine-year-old girl, just like standing <laughs> yeah, there like, looking what? very confused, like little yeah, nine-year-old exactly. child. I was like, I want to say, like, go get her and save her. Take her, yeah. Oh, so like the abortion, the abortion movement started with this idea, you need to have a bubble of, you know, a woman should be able to go into an abortion facility and have like, you know, eight feet around her of freedom to not be spoken to, even on a public sidewalk. And so now the drag queens are like, we need to do the same thing too. You can't be within a hundred meters, you know, and say anything I would consider offensive. Right. Like, you know. And, and so who gets it, to determine it, what's offensive speech? That's the frightening part too. Super liberal. Yeah. yeah. So this to me is like, this is, you know, introducing a new idea. They're going to test it out in Canada and see if it clicks. And then, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to have lawmakers here in the United States to try to do it too. And, and uh, you know, for the attacks we've had on religious freedom, why wouldn't there be more and more attacks on free speech? Uh -huh. and we've already had attacks on free speech, you know, so um, yeah, that to me is total Twilight Zone. I mean, I'm hoping it's as popular as uh, indigenous land acknowledgement, but Canada's had some real humdingers of ideas, unfortunately. I wonder if praying the rosary would be offensive speech. I'm thinking of my, my public library had a drag family drag show last June, and some women from my parish organized, like, 15 people showed up and just knelt in the back row and said the rosary for half an hour. And, yeah, that probably would be illegal in Canada if this well, you goes couldn't, through. In, in England, you couldn't yeah, I was pray, say in right? England, you right. Couldn't in England, pray. you can't pray outside of a, a portion. Silent, silently. Silently, right. You're just in right. your head. Right. Yeah, that was a crazy clip too. There's like a cop that came up to her and said, "Yeah, Were you she was praying? arrested twice." Said, she yeah, I was praying, but what? The Catholic How's priest even... was arrested too. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, it's good to be aware of these for when that even a whiff of that comes to America. Uh -huh. Anyone that claims to be believing free speech in the First Amendment. I mean, should if we were be all a serious that. country, we consider sanctions against those two countries for their violations. Canada of and the UK rights. get yeah, sanctions. Yeah, for our commitments. But instead, we're mad well, we got to get our own house in order right. first. Yeah, we instead, do. we're mad at Africa for uh, defending their own sovereignty and not wanting to pass LGBTQ rights things. And we're like, oh, we're going to stop right. investing over there. It's just, we're right, not a serious right. country. Anyway, speaking of unseriousness, uh, so I major, this was a maybe a career highlight uh personal inspiration to me i'm going to tease it so i actually got to speak to riley Gaines uh in an interview i'm not going to say all the things you said but we got a super comprehensive story and i think an element to her story that has not been covered elsewhere uh that we got to talk about a lot so uh another pitch please subscribe it's going to be coming out soon she's a total inspiration to me and many so she was in the news again uh I think it's almost, it was a weekend. It was not last weekend. Or actually, no, it was last weekend. Uh, she went out to San Francisco State University and she gave a talk about her experiences as a swimmer, swimming against Leah Thomas and being in the locker room while male genitalia was around and just being done completely wrong by the NCAA. She's on the warpath to uh, ensure uh, equality for competition for women. She's a fierce defender of women's rights, as she should, and safety, of course, but uh, so she gave this speech in San Francisco, and she was literally held hostage by students there because they did not like the message that she was spreading. So as soon as her speech ended, uh, some protesters got killed the lights, uh, started flashing flashlights. It truly looked like a horror movie. She was being escorted out by someone. She, she said she didn't even really know who to trust, but she was being escorted. She couldn't get fully out of the building because the mob had kind of trapped her in there. They had her in a room and she had to be in there for three hours until she could safely leave until enough protesters dispersed for her to get out of there. And the funniest element to this to me was uh, they were demanding a ransom. They said, if you paid her to be here, 
then we deserve to get paid for having to listen to it. And the, I believe it was the assistant dean came and was reasoning with these people. Oh my like, goodness. Actually entertaining that as like a logical idea. Well, there's some issues with that. First off, she didn't get paid to be there, by the way, which only makes me respect her more. She totally went to the lion's end for no financial benefit of her own, just because she truly believes that. But these people were like, no, we want to get paid. She eventually gets out there safe, safely. She actually got assaulted by one of the people, and I think she's going to file a lawsuit. It's just the most unbelievable stuff, right? So if anyone questions Riley's commitment to her cause, it's, I think, unquestioned now. She's just basically a hero in regards to this. So, uh, so Megan Rapino, she is famous for playing on the U.S. women's soccer team. I believe they've won some gold medals. They had a pretty good run. Uh, she's uh, notoriously lesbian, uh, progressive, uh, very outspoken. In your face. Very in your yeah, face. Very, very off-putting, very in your, in your face. The, quite the opposite of Riley, to be honest. And then she shot out a tweet basically saying that wi trans women should be able to compete in whatever sport they want to compete in, that they're being attacked, and that we need to actually get legislation in place to protect this said so call your con congressional rep today to say women's sports need protection from unequal pay sexual abuse lack of resources not from trans kids and riley had one of the best responses i think i've seen on twitter i mean she is just sharp and she's yeah so she says it's worth noting that one you are done playing sports competitively and two because you aren't sexually attracted to men you will never have a daughter to defend to me this simply looks like virtue signaling because you have nothing to lose. And then she goes on to say the response was even better. I can, I can respect opinions that differ from my own and everyone is entitled to think, speak independently, but I can't help but think Megan Rapinoe would genuinely shiv any male who tried to take her spot on the U.S. women's national team. <laughs> okay, so here's, here's, here's what gets interesting about this. So Megan Rapinoe is claiming she should get, women's soccer should get equal pay as men's, you know, and I thought Will Kane had a really good rant about this. He said, you shouldn't ask for equal pay. You should get, if you sell more tickets and if you sell more jerseys and you get more people watching your TV show, you know, watching entertainment, like you're entertaining more people, selling more tickets, selling more jerseys, you should be paid more. Why would you want to be paid less? Like if women's soccer is more popular than men's soccer, shouldn't you get paid more? But the fact is it isn't. It is not. And so it's not shot. getting as much money. And, and, and here's the thing that gets me about this. You know why it doesn't get paid as much? So about six years ago, the women's uh, national team was getting, you know, preparing, you know, they do these uh, ex exhibition games or whatever, right? And they're getting ready to play Russia, and they decide to go play a soccer game against Dallas Academy team. This is a, t okay, now- 15-year-olds, by the yeah. way. Boys. <laughs> that are under 15 years old and they lost they lost fight the women's yeah women's national soccer team plays a dallas under 15 year old boys academy team and they lost fight it to right which <laughs> so, is maybe I mean, <laughs> why she wants trans women on the team it's true i'm not saying i'm a good First of all, I think soccer's, you know, borderline communist. I hate it anyway. But and I'm not and I'm not trying to say I'm any kind of athlete. If I went up against a women's soccer team, I get my butt kicked. Of course I would lose. I don't I don't want to play soccer. I'm not good at it, okay? But this idea should be paid equally. It's like, give me a break. And the whole point is if you open up the women's soccer team to to anyone who claims they're men, then this whole Dallas football team could have claimed their girls and then just play oh, the, the game. Year the 15-year-old boys. Yeah. Yeah. Wouldn't they, they would be the champions, right? They would have won a gold medal. Yeah. soccer team. Kind of what happened Josh, to Leah Thomas, right? Josh, hey. I, I played soccer. Oh. I, I appreciate soccer. I'm going to take the bait. Why do you feel that soccer is borderline communist? I don't know. It's just the game is so boring that the, the fight, <laughs> fights break out in the stands because there's nothing going on on the there's field. There's nothing else I to just, do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh. Yeah. You know, maybe at least in hockey, the fight it. is with the players. And, and, you know, you watch us. Oh, kind of just thinking. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Hell, Lazo is not going to feel very good about that. A growing respect for hockey as they're they're kind of shrugging off the Pride Night stuff. A lot of those guys are just salt of the earth type guys. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of uh, you know, Russian Orthodox type dudes over there. They're based. So that does it for this week's edition of the Loopcast. Uh, this is so much fun for us to do. And we really appreciate all of you listening. Seriously, we truly appreciate all your support and hope you had a great Easter. If you want to support us, if you want to help us, a few things, 
leave a review, Apple Podcasts especially. It helps us a ton. You can write a personalized review. It goes a long way. Review us on Spotify. And then the inbox. If you want to get in touch with me, if you have uh, comments, questions, concerns, loopcast at catholicvote.org. The best way you can do this if you share it with a friend. Uh, I actually, so shout out to, I forget her name, but I was with my mother-in-law over the weekend. And this always... You forgot your you forgot mother-in-law's, your mother-in-law's name. name? No, 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 no. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to... I'm not here to dox anyone, but my mother-in-law, you know, she's, she's a wonderful woman. She was at a silent retreat. And so I don't know how this came out at a silent retreat, yeah. but uh, she <laughs> Women's was silent talking... Women's silent retreats are There's still women. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think this might have been at the end of the retreat when you could talk. So I'm not throwing any shade anywhere. <laughs> but uh, she was talking about her children, said, you know, I have eight children and... I have the son-in-law and talking about what they do. So it works for this organization called Catholic Vote. And the first thing that this lady said was, oh my gosh, I love the Luke cast. I listen all, every week I, I send it to all my friends. And she's like, oh, that's actually my son on the podcast. And uh, she, she didn't think that I was you, Josh. Now it's your son, uh, not son-in-law. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah, she, sorry, I must have gained one there. But yeah. uh, it was so, it's always cool for me to hear just, uh, ran, like just random stories like that where people have got the loop cast, really enjoy it, love it, and we're even we're infiltrating well, silent retreats. So here's the th- here's the thing: we love we love talking about these issues. We love trying to help uh, you know Catholics understand what's going on in the news, and we do it through our daily loop, and we do it through the loop cast. And we're just very appreciative uh, for all the positive feedback we get. You know this this we really do enjoy doing it, and we do it for our audience. So uh, yeah. We, we like those comments, obviously. Uh, <laughs> thanks, and, guys. And, uh, thank you so much for everything. Yeah, thanks, guys. We're we'll happy to serve. The, we will see you on the next one. Bye.